let's not take health as something which we understand is pre-configured and then like all right well we just let's just recreate the national health service but no no actually the, the basically people have got to be much more active and be able to interrogate like the way that their conception of health is constructed by all of these institutions and so forth basically and then to gain control over it in some way Hello and welcome back to another episode of Red Medicine, a podcast about radical politics, medical anthropology and the sociology of science. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Keir Milburn about the rise of the cosmic right, a new political formation made up of right-wing conspiracy theorists. Keir Milburn is a writer, researcher and political activist. He researches on a number of topics for the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation and is a research associate for the think tank Commonwealth. He also co-hosts the ACFM podcast on Novara Media and is part of the Red Plenty Games Collective. The far right has long had a paranoid bent, but the term cosmic right refers to the recent uptick in obsessions and conspiracy theories surrounding a whole host of topics, including vaccines, lockdowns, the role of women and trans people in public life, as well as climate change and anti-Semitic caricatures of secret Hollywood cabals. Strangely, these groups also make a claim for some of the countercultural tendencies we might associate most commonly with the left. I ask here about where this has all come from and discuss why only a left-wing politics is able to produce an oppositional project to these currents, which we might want to call the weird or acid left. Keir also explains some of the organising and workshops he's been involved with and how they reflect what we could call a weird left sensibility or strategy. We also discussed the forthcoming Red Medicine event, Illness, and how that can hopefully contribute to the same movement. If that all sounds interesting, make sure you grab your ticket for the event in question, which is taking place on May 25th at the Horse Hospital in London. The event will consist of readings by Amber Hussein, Misha Fraser-Carroll and Matt Colquhoun on the politics of illness. Tickets are on a sliding scale so you can pay what you can afford and can be purchased using the link in the show notes. Finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by signing up for a £1 a month donation on the website, giving us a five-star review on your medium of choice, or sharing this episode with people you think might enjoy it. Now, on with the conversation with Keir. So just to start off, to get everyone on the same page, for someone who's never heard of a phrase like the cosmic right could you just explain what what that refers to you know what 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 that really means yeah well i I first started using it a couple of years ago in fact i was sort of trying to use this word acid fascism to try to grasp (laughs) this phenomenon that was going on and a friend of mine from australia dave eden had started using this word the cosmic right and i thought it's much better actually especially the cosmic bit really grasps it and the initial thing both me and dave were trying to get a hold of which is really weird sort of quite sudden explosion of right-wing conspiracy theories and then actually just like you know anti-semitic conspiracy theories and just like outright racism amongst a few scenes that like you wouldn't have expected it perhaps before so sort of you know sort of new age spiritual sort of scenes wellness communities yoga communities things which because of like the structure of the counterculture 
which was which was associated with the left in the 1960s and 1970s, where lots of experiments with like people trying to rethink their lives through reference to uh, religious theories and mysticism from 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 India primarily and, and from that sort of region. In some ways, it was a surprise that they that this sort of thinking had sort of took off really really quite rapidly. Obviously, there was something else going on there. There was the whole COVID thing, etc., which is this moment of of, of rupture, of disruption, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so, in a way, that like the cosmic right was a, a way to sort of try to distinguish it from something like the alt right, which was you know from a few years before, which also had some elements of a sensibility that you might have associated with the left previously, or or I did in the time that I was coming up in the sort of uh, 1980s, etc., where you'd have like a sort of like an ironic prankish sort of sensibility, like this sort of in, in you know the creation of these like. Uh, fast-moving sort of languages, where uh, internal languages and, and names and what would now be called memes but weren't in the 80s, etc. Uh, that was one thing that you could sort of get your head around. But then this other thing was from a very different constituency, this, ho- this whole cosmic right thing. And you can, some of it you can understand that when COVID goes off, the world as it was seems very disrupted. I, I, I can understand that how, how sort of like the, a real big distrust of the big pharmaceutical industries and and how the pharmaceutical industries are organized i can understand how that sort of distrust which people should have around that could then be sort of pushed into a, a wider distrust of all medical authorities or, or basically all medical knowledge it was like this weird distrust of uh, it fits into a much wider distrust of expertise some of which is sort of you know a, a suspicion around that it, it is all it is probably healthy, but like uh, you know, once it goes past a certain point, well, collective reason becomes impossible. Basically, there's no way you can do do that in a state of mistrust, and it fits actually very nicely with the the general tenor of uh, a distrust of expertise that comes along with neoliberalism, in which in fact all expertise should be subordinated beneath one form of like modeling or one model of rationality which would be the rationality underlying like economics basically homo economicus as um, lots of people have talked about but people associate that word with Foucault these days and his analysis of of neoliberalism um yeah so there there, there, there was something that you could sort of understand it but there was but it was still quite a weird connection to make um uh you know that a sort of like hippie post-hippie Everything is connected, sort of cosmicness linked to the hardest and most hackneyed of limitations or divisions within society, such as like racism and so forth and sexism and these sorts of things. Like, you know, yeah. So it was that that thinking through of what, like what's what, what's going on with that? <laughs> um, and we did, we uh, basically, I was interested in we, and then we did a cut, uh, we did a, um, an episode of uh, RACFM on the cosmic right. And it's just been a, like an ongoing thing. We've been trying to think through this idea of the cosmic right for quite, quite a while. And that sort of moves on to, um, well, if you're, in, if you're interested in those sorts of things, you need to think about what's going on, both in terms of like the, the, the mechanisms by which it works, i.e. like the, the conceptual mechanisms, we probably put it that way. And like what they, what, what, what's it doing for people? Like what are the, effects and affects when we talk about affects we can think about that as in some sort of way the sort of feelings that get created that people are sort of either pulled towards or pushed away from do you know what i mean i'm glad you mentioned big farmer as well because i mean that's like a phrase that me and people that i've interviewed use all the time and mm. very big into suspicion of medical authority yeah and, like, 
and it's it's one of those things you have to kind of keep an eye on of how that word kind of or that phrase or or even just that framework it is being kind of adapted in different ways um mm. let we'll come back to medicine um but just keeping with a more general uh illustration of of, of what the cosmic right refers to could you talk about what you think some of the the issues are the kind of political commitments that animate what we would think of as a kind of cosmic right politics. I mean, that also probably relates again to medicine and the adjacencies to things like an anti-vaccine stance. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it'd be really interesting to talk to you about that, actually. I think you'll have something to say on that as well. But on, on the sort of the, the medicine side. Yeah. But, um, uh, but it, obviously it goes for, it goes further than just anti-vaccine. It has a whole series of like, you know, conspiracy theories, etc. Leading into things such as QAnon, you know, this this huge melange of conspiracy theories, really. But like organised, or at least initially, you know, around a sort of game, a textual interpretation game. That gives us some clues, actually. That gives us some clues about why these sorts of modes of thinking are really popular uh, you know, and I think that's probably related to a couple of things. It's related to the gamified aspects that you get with social media and with the internet based on hyperlinks and these sorts of things, you know. Um, but before we get to that, I, we should probably talk a little bit more about, yeah, what's animating some of this stuff. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of ways in which you can think about it. One of the one of the things on ACFM we started to come around to is this idea of enchantment and re-enchantment, enchantment of, with the world. <laughs> Which is just kind of an interesting way uh, way of thinking about it, and so yeah, in in some sorts of ways, you know, what people uh, uh, like about the cosmic aspect of that cosmic right thing is that you know, in some sorts of ways, this 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 mode of thinking in which there's conspiracies going on, and there are small groups of people who are who um, can can see through those conspiracies. Suddenly, you become an active agent in history. Or in theory, you do actually just wasting your time on the internet, but <laughs> don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but it's that idea that you know, basically, you have access to occult knowledge that other people don't have, and therefore, you know, your life is now full of these sort of like these extremely strange things that people find interesting. These things that go beyond what seems to be happening. There seems to be hidden forces motivating things, etc. And, and I mean, I also believe that that is true, <laughs> um, but, but I but like my hidden forces aren't made up of other people having conspiracies. Mostly, they're made up of like structural forces, history and structural forces, things such as capitalism, et cetera, which shapes our experiences and shapes the way we we think we can act and shapes the way we can think, basically, in various ways. All of those tools of the left, which because the left had a historical collapse, people were, didn't have access to in in the same way they might have done, you know, in previous previous periods. So, so there's something about that, about like the people gain things, such as like a feeling of an of an enchanted life but um, as I've gone on to think about like the cosmic and try to think about what the cosmic in the cosmic right is, I've been a little bit more drawn to things such as cosmic horror, um, mm. as in like uh, H.P. Lovecraft, where people talk about that and and land, well, yeah, and, like weird fiction. In fact, that's the general term for it. And like, if you think about, I don't know if you or the or, or the listeners know about H.P. Lovecraft, but you know the the sort of like cosmic part of that comes from this. You know, the, 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 this, these, these glimpses of this, something huge, much bigger than yourself, almost unthinkably big, these old gods, which are huge, etc. They've lived forever and all these sorts of things. You know what I mean? So what you're getting from that is a feeling of, 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 of awe and, and, and the sublime, I think. So this, this idea of like that, that what's going on with the cosmic right 
is that people are enjoying the feeling or affect of the sublime comes from a, a, a friend of mine, Wu Ming Wan, also known as Roberto Bui, who was part of this writing collective from Italy. And they, he wrote a book about, on, on QAnon where he, he was using these sorts of concepts. It's only in Italian. I'm hoping it's going to be published in English soon. And like, yeah, he's sort of going to, to philosophers such as Kant, who, who has this idea of the dynamic sublime, of a, like a, a sense of awe about the impossible largeness of nature and our almost insignificance in comparison to it um and yet like so Kant says you know say you're you see an avalanche and you say what or, or you know a really big storm and it's like these storm chasers or this avalanche going you say my god nature is so huge the forces involved are so massive but he says you always you're always trying to view it from a place of safety so you can actually enjoy it it's like a fear that you also enjoy you know what i mean and I think that's a really useful way of thinking about that dynamic sublime. Because, like, what is the cosmic is like this. Yes, the whole cosmos is huge. It's inf in, in, infinitesimally large. I just, you know, it's so big you can't grasp it. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit like that. I think people want that feel. They understand, like, we basically in a, in a situation in which we understand that, that we, we don't seem to be able to have control over the things that go on in our lives. Uh, and, and, you know, basically th that is very disempowering. Uh, yeah. And so that this idea of a cosmic, you know, the, this huge conspiracy, not a conspiracy that you might find in the actual world, yeah. which tend to be small, limited, um, tend to be found out because humans are fallible, et cetera, et cetera. You have these huge conspiracies involving everyone, all of the Democratic Party, every Hollywood celebrity, all in a perfect conspiracy conspiring to, to commit paedophilia and drink the blood of children, etc. Um, yeah, basically, all, all of these sorts of things. And it's like that there's something I end up, we can understand. I'm not in control of my life because these huge forces are moving and they're just out of view. But I can, but, but, but because I've got access to this occult knowledge by watching a film on YouTube or talking to some friends on a some sort of message board, I can suddenly got the occult knowledge to understand that basically and of course if it's just a group of people who are conspiring what could what could defeat that well another group of people conspiring a slot here all of a sudden i'm the most one of the most important people in the world i'm on a his, world historic mission now all of those things i say to you are affects which the left also um uses or, or, or produces do you know what i mean i think i have got occult knowledge <laughs> through the study <laughs> of the esoteric science of marxism right um yeah. You know, yeah, and I, I yeah, and I that, that I think that's actually a lot truer. And I also think I'm on a world historic mission, but not just with a small group of people, but like you know, basically yeah. I'm a this small part of a of a this huge movement that's been going for 200 years and et cetera, et cetera, and which in principle can include the whole world and aims to include the whole world within it. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, in some ways it's a, it's a way to address those feelings of like of fear and and being feelings of the world is out of control but in a way which basically doesn't really risk changing anything <laughs> uh, um, uh, and so basically you know yeah anyway let, let's leave it then you can you can get a word in address chris yeah no I, I mean i'm just thinking about the lovecraft thing and like i should preface it by saying i'm not a i'm neither an expert on lovecraft or can so uh you know bear that in mind but one thing that sticks with me about what you're saying there is is the position of safety mm. i mean like the thing with the left politics is you're not looking upon the horror and thinking, gosh, isn't that terrible? I hope, you know, I'm glad I'm not yeah. involved. Part of it is you have to, this does involve me. I've got a stake in this. 
And even if you're not directly involved mm. in it, you say, I, you know, I care about the people in the avalanche, let's yeah. say. Mm. Um, so if I was getting involved to help someone, and I wonder if that's part of this slightly different dynamic. I mean, there's also the well-trodden conversation about Lovecraftian kind of the other of uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the racialized yeah. body and things like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was a, a, a like horrific racist and anti-Semite Lovecraft yeah. right till the very end of his life. He was, he was, you know, but I think that makes sense. Like, it's in a way, it's like, yeah. if you're, if you want to have access to this, what's the place of safety in, in the whole cosmic horror thing? For him, I think it's like, in, he's in, especially he's right, Lovecraft is writing in a world where like science and our understanding of the world is changing really dramatically. So in, in like some stories, such as the Call of Cthulhu um, and the Mountains of Madness and stuff like that, you know, Euclidean geometry becomes the enemy or like new understandings of physics gets mentioned because it's all, you know, the, the world is much more mobile. And so his base of safety is like racism, basically. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's the bit that like, is that it gives him the anchoring from which, like, oh, like, yeah. this is the thing, this eternal truth that there are different races, some are superior, some are subhuman, etc. Like that's the, that's the sort of solid bit you hug on to. And basically, as soon as you get rid of that, you're basically out of like the cosmic right and you're into something which could be the cosmic left. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I wonder if the sort of boundary you have to, I mean, this will be different for different people in different contexts, obviously. But, you know, one way you, I think maybe you could think about it is, is hmm, how to phrase it. Well, do you know what? I'll use your phrase for it. So, so I, don't risk, I, I remember seeing you talk about this actually on Twitter a while ago and sort of saying that there's a difference between, um, I get, I'll paraphrase, but a kind of a fantasy that reduces the complexity mm. uh, and a sort of politics that puts you in touch with the complexity. Mm. And, I, and I wonder if, um, it, you know, in a moment where things are feeling increasingly sort of uh, alienated and complex and, and our relationship to media and how that's delivered to us is undoubtedly happening in a, in a, in a total different context. Um, I mean, how do you think that kind of shapes the specific um, sort of shape of the cosmic right as opposed to, you know, the kind of conspiracist tendencies that have been apparent in, you know, a lot of far-right mm. ideologies mm. Sort of forever? Really. Maybe it comes back to that thing you're saying about having the quality of a game. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think that's, I mean, so if we could explain, explore that a little bit more about the, the idea that QAnon in particular is a really good example of something which spread because it's got this this gamified aspect to it, basically. Um, I, like, and the game is textual interpretation through these Q drops. Then you, mm -hmm. the game is like you join in and you try to add your bit to this huge melange, etc. It's really low cost because basically everything can fit in it, so... Um, you're, you're battling with other people to become a, an influence, and if you want to see what I mean. And the best, and basically, what you're trying to do is see, see patterns in this, see patterns in these, the, the, in this, in this mess of data basically gets dropped, which can be interpreted in any way. So Q drops are just, you know, they work in the same way as um, newspaper astrology, which is basically you write something which is interpreted in a million different ways, so you're never wrong, uh, and you're always right, sort of thing, you know. Um, uh, not always. Sometimes you make the, the Q makes like actual predictions. They're always wrong. But of course, like, you know, all of the cults which form around apocalyptic um, religions, which say the world's going to end on this date, when the world doesn't end on that date, it never destroys them. In fact, it only makes them bigger because you tie together in this, you know, um, in this thing which, uh, which alienates you from the world even more. 
Um, yeah, but so basically, that the, 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 it's a textual interpretation game that you can join in, and the it, the joy is that thing they call it guided apophenia. You're trying to apophenia is like when you see patterns in random data. So so basically, you know, obviously, it's seeing faces in clouds, etc. You know, that's a, that's an example of apophenia. They, and in, in QAnon, they're they, they, trying to guide you to make connections which aren't there, basically. Yeah, and so and that's sort of the gamified thing, basically, is that like you know, yes, I too can join in on this. I can be one of the one of the I can be one of the people who can join in, in interpreting and understanding how the world is not. It's one where there are priests. It's not like a religion where there are priests, but like basically everybody can be their own priest if you want. Do you know what I mean? Some of them listen to more, and that's the game. Can I, I get my interpretation to be listened to by more people than others? A little bit, you know, like the structure of 4chan and those message boards where, you know, if you want your message to stay at the front, uh, it to stay up, it's got to have people interacting with it sort of thing. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah. And I, I think that is linked to social media in, in loads of ways, as in like that's the structure of social media of like that, you know, trying to get to, to more and more people to connect to you, et cetera, to, to link to, to link to what you got, what you're saying, et cetera, and all these sorts of things. I also think it's linked to it's it's an offshoot, not just of technology in a, in a sort of like the way we think about it is high tech. But also, I think like part of what goes on. The, the sort of the sort of subjectivities that get produced through the mechanisms of neoliberalism as well, I think. So we could go back to like the Foucault idea, Homo economicus, and this idea. So Foucault does these lectures in the late 1970s where he's reading all of the neoliberal theorists and he makes this really perceptive analysis of like what, what's going on there. And, you know, basically what it is, is that you're, the whole point is to try to inculcate some sort of like entrepreneurial, individualistic uh, sensibility in people, basically. And you do that by trying to introduce competitive pseudo markets into the institutions people interact with, basically, mm. such yeah. as universities. And then if, if you behave in, in alignment with the logics, which are structure those institutions so that you are treat other people as a problem to be dealt with, rather than like as a potential source of solution to your problems. If you behave in that way, you'll get rewarded. If you don't behave in that way, you'll get penalised, basically. It acts as a sort of, you know, any academic out there, that's what the ref is, isn't it? Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, so basically that sort of like, um, you know, in that sort of way you get, you interact with institutions, you're trained to behave and respond to, to a certain way, trained to see people as that, you know, a, 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 some sort of problem. You're trained to, to understand that your life is uh, this constant struggle amongst limited resources in whichever people are competitors for your limited resources. And your the response to that should be entrepreneurial. It should be, you should be the one who goes out and does these things. Um, there's been a, a, like, so basically part of the historical conditioning of that is, you know, that means one thing pre-2008 and is another thing post-2008. You know, that entrepreneurial behavior is not going to lead to the good life anymore. Yeah. But, you know, all of the institutions there are still training you to think that way, even though the good life associated with that training is not there. And so you do get all these sorts of things where people, you know, it, that sort of gets pushed across into things such as these sorts of like cults and, and modes of thinking involved in in trying to understand the world in a critical way rather than in a celebratory way, if you want to, if you if you understand what I mean, do you know what I mean? Which is a resource for the left, but it can be a resource for the right as well. Yeah, um, I think it would be good as well. So I've had conversations previously about this kind of um, phenomena, and 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 I think whenever I've spoken about it, it's focused quite a lot on on the context of the US. Mm. 
you know, QAnon, whilst it seems to have gone pretty global, originates in the US and, and sort of revolves around the politics of Trump and, and the Democrats and things like that. I'd be really interested to hear about what you think about its kind of specific British um, sort of incarnation, you know, the kind of the British cosmic right, um, sort of what kind of demographics it kind of sucks in in this country, what kind of pre-existing British kind of political identities it speaks to, mm. um, you know, partly because we're both here, but also because I think it is an interesting mutation, if you will, you know, the the I don't know if you saw, but the protests around 15-minute mm-hmm. cities in places like Oxford and things, because it definitely seems to have a different kind of feel to it than in the US, maybe because there's a slightly different role of like evangelical Christian as, uh, Christianity as well. Yeah, well, I mean, how do you see the, the sort of demographics making up the cosmic right in the UK specifically? Yeah, I think it's, it's different, isn't it? Because I think in the US and in a country such as Brazil, for instance, which uh, had quite a big cosmic right sort of thing around uh, Bolsonaro, uh, you know, large a large part of Bolsonaro's support is Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism and that sort of Protestantism in the US is this huge resource for like, you know, basically conspiratorial end of world sort of thinking, basically. And in the UK, it's not that's not that's not all that big. It's you know, amongst certain communities that, that that's there. So yeah, it's drawing on a different constituency to some degree. So that was part of what was interesting about the cosmic right in the UK. It was not drawing on Christian subjectivities more drawing on like new age subjectivities in lots of ways. And so, yeah, quite a lot of like the conspiracy demonstrations at the anti-COVID demonstrations, not so much the 50 minute city ones, actually, you know, when I was watching videos of those, I was getting quite distressed, you know, I saw lots of people like, Oh, I could have, could have been in a, in a a free party with them perhaps, you know, 15 years ago or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. And uh, you know, people who are like just one or two steps away from me, you know, um, quite a big outbreak of that sort of thing in Hebden Bridge, you know, where a lot of um, a, 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 a lot of um, hippies and even green activists went, uh, uh, you know, go, have gone to retire into the countryside sort of thing, not in a Maoist way, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> so there's that sort of element. But then again, I, I, you know, always best to talk about this is anecdotally and not rely on the data I don't have. But um, I got in a cab the other day and like the, the cab driver really chatty, we were just going off on one and he started going, oh, have you heard about these 15 minute cities? And I was like, uh, yeah, 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 it's about going to be able to walk to the shops, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but I'm basically, you know, he's launching into a conspiracy, massive conspiracy thing. Um, and you can totally see why that would, particularly that conspiracy theory would really hit quite hard. Uh, with a with a taxi driver basically well obviously they're basically concerned about driving around all day so yes this is going to be a concern isn't it but like there's also that thing i mean taxi drivers perhaps so much because they taxi drivers they're sort of like they're sort of working for themselves but they're also working for a boss it's like a bit of a mixed one but like in 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 like studies of like who like the the sorts of the sorts of subjectivities who are most attracted to this sort of thinking you know, it tends to be from people who are, well, at different layers, actually, but people who are perhaps like, you know, sole traders or perhaps people like, you know, perhaps failed entrepreneurs of some sort, you know what I mean? As like the, the raw material of this, plus perhaps boomers as well as quite a big source. Mm-hmm. Boomers who, um, yeah, have got some sort of assets. They're in a different position to to younger people who, who basically have got slightly more difficult lives than perhaps the 
all, but not all boomers, but like more difficult conditions than the boomers had when they were growing up. Well, I'm me actually, to be honest. Um, I'm not a boomer, by the way. I'm Gen X, but like you know, I grew up on the tail end of like the social democratic compromise, and like you know, I had quite a large amount of freedom in my my youth, which is not so available to my daughter, for instance. But like, yeah, so there's that sort of constituency as well of like people who have some assets are not rich. Are disgruntled, but because of their sort of situation, they're not automatic constituency for like a left politics. You know, they can be left, went over to a left politics, I think. But like classically, the petty bourgeois was seen as the the source material from which fascism could recruit, etc. Bourgeoisism could recruit. Do you know what I mean? Partly because they had some small bit of capital to, to or, or 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 assets to protect. But were really subject to things such as inflation, etc. These big, big forces, and didn't have a point of collectivity in their lives, such as workers in the in the mass factory, etc. These sorts of things. So, like that is sort of like the raw material, and I think that holds in the UK as well to some extent. Um, uh, but like there are two different levels, aren't there, of political of, of entrepreneurs? There, like there are also political entrepreneurs, people who make this their living. Do you know what I mean? Who are probably a bit more cynical in yeah. their actions. And that's, that seems to be the pattern as well. Like basically, if you want to look at like who's leading these sorts of movements, it's failed entrepreneurs, basically. Um, and in fact, you know, who the who are the core constituency for for Trump in the UK in the US is actually successful entrepreneurs or mid-levels entrepreneurs, boat salesmen in the Midwest, basically, they say the classic sort of uh, constituency. Um in the UK, though, when you look at, because I've not seen any data of like who who's there, but it's, so it's all sort of anecdotal of what you've seen. You know, you do what you do also see is like lots of young women, you know, lots of young black women are, are, are on on you know being engaged with these sorts of things. I don't know whether they live it, they 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 pers- pers- persevere in these in these movements for very long, but you know they're certainly a part of when QAnon was going through its Save the Children phase, where they were doing like you know mixing up like general sort of like general fears around pedophile gangs which often racialized in this yeah. country around pakistani men etc and you know um and then you have like people like epstein and people who are um uh who are uh you know basically yeah actual elite pedophile rings you know which did yeah. seem to exist that that sort of thing seemed to drag a, a lot of young women into it yeah and then I think also like turfism is another like entry point basically in this country. I was going to ask you about this actually because yeah, turfism. I'm glad you mentioned that because as you were saying there about when you see people who are there's the, there's the sense of recognition not in the politics but in the path that they've taken from a different start point. So the, I almost mean the sort of experience of there's a, there's a, there's almost a sense of loss. So when you see someone go down a kind of rabbit mm. hole or we might call it like a reality tunnel where it's this one issue you know you see it with turfism you see it with the cosmic right and you know i'm sure you see it with other political tendencies as well but involved in a lot of them um and maybe this speaks a little bit to the kind of anti-semitism and and maybe we should kind of unpack that a little Mm. bit as well that there is the figure of the imperiled child Mm. there is the, the the worst possible thing any of us could ever think of which is you know doing harm specifically harm of a sexual nature to a child that you know it's so emotive mm-hmm. it's 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 a it's a, a horrifying affect 
which wired into these kind of media communication systems that thrive on interaction. You know, the most yeah. extreme stuff gets the most extreme response. That that seems to be one of the kernels at the center of this that is shared with a lot of the um, worryingly rising tides of um, lots of reactionary politics. Yeah. Do you, do you, how would you put that into a kind of framework for how we understand this stuff? Yeah. How would you see those shared? Yeah. Once again, I think it, like you can you can relate it back to this idea of the of the sublimeness of like the cosmic. Everything is related, you know. Everything is related, which gives you this sort of like false sense that well, anything is possible and then nothing's real and all that sort of stuff. That is a miasma of something you can't live in. That's that, that sort of trying to, to to sort of like recognize and get some frisson from the complexity of the world. You know, is something which is difficult to to to, to grasp. Deleuze and Guattari, um, A Thousand Plateaus has been a big book, in, you know, not really picked it up for a decade or more. <laughs> but like, you know, that, that that is a really useful way of trying to think through, you know, they've got all of these, all of this, you know, it, their first book they wrote together, Anti-Oedipus, it's more of a celebration of this sort of like, let's de-territorials, de let's get everything, let's really go along the lines of flight and let's just embrace the complexity of everything. And then in the second book, in A Thousand Plateaus, they they're much more drawn back. They say, caution, caution, because if you embrace this stuff too much, you can spin off, basically. It won't lead to freedom. It can lead to black holes, they call it. These, these like, subjectivities you can't get out of. One of them they point to is the junkie, basically. The other one is, like, the fascist, which is embracing this sort of destroy, destroy sort, sort of thing. And so, like, yeah, I, I sort of think that um, um, one of the reactions you can have to, like, a, a world which seems increasingly complex Behind all of this are like the, the real, real crises in the world, which basically is a, an economic system which is not producing a good life for lots of people. But like this, 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 uh, the climate crisis basically, so a sense of doom, etc., through the complexity of the world in lots of ways, and the inability of our political system to deal with that complexity. One way you do that basically is to is to, you know, you want some sort of like that's the sublime bit. You know, it's fear. You're enjoying the fear sort of thing, and so. Like one of the ways in which you could see the reason that like women in particular and and uh, and uh, trans people in particular, um, you know, like can be seen as something which is basically um, crossing the boundaries too much, if you know what I mean. So like yeah, so basically like the the right is about conserving uh, about um, preserving and extending existing hierarchies. Trying to put things into into clear boundaries, basically, in order to keep things distinct, uh, in order to keep things in their order, basically, so that some people are at the bottom here. We don't want those people. We don't want any evidence that those people are very much like us people, our people. We don't want any yeah. of this fucking. You know, we want when we want when we want genetic science. We only want it from like the turn of the turn of the nineteenth, the twentieth century. You know, we don't want any of this stuff which says that actually that you know that there's more genetic variation within. Uh, people from the, the continent of Africa than there is from everybody outside that. That's you want the, everything in the bound. And so, like you know, this is not something new. There's a the book by Klaus Theowald from the from the 30s. He, so it's a German theorist who was who was basically he read all of the the diaries of people who were in the Freikorp and stuff like this. This pre-Nazi subjectivities who come from the war. And like the thing he says about that is like you know, but what. All of these are like they over and over and over again. You get the descriptions of women as people who are like formless or boundless, a bit like the mm. a bit like the old gods in Lovecraft, basically these formless horrors, etc. You know, they don't stick. You know, they they're not things that stay in order, etc. They they leak out into the world 
you know, when they have their periods and all these sorts of things, they're messy entities and like this fear of the, of women as formlessness, etc. It's like one of the driving dynamics in that sort of movement. Uh, you know, you can see how like misogyny and then like to a certain extent, you know, what's it? What's the opposite of that? What's the flip side or the bounded part of that? It is like women as like this very very bounded thing basically this natural element this natural yeah. thing this bounded thing and so anything that like disrupts that is something which provoked that 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 fear but a, a, but like um a fascination as well if you know what i mean yeah definitely so with all that in mind that you know this is obviously a big problem for those of us who want to live in a sort of non-misogynist non-transphobic non-ancetic non-hierarchical world and a lot of the work you and you know lots of your kind of comrades or friends involved with is involved with um, thinking through what it might mean to build a sort of opposite polarity, uh, a weird left, a cosmic left. So with the, the, the sort of picture you've painted there of, of how we can think about the cosmic right, I mean, if we could do the reverse and sort of introduce people, what, what it might mean to think about what a, what a cosmic left yeah. would be, a weird left. I've never used to turn the cosmic left, actually, but yeah, we've used to turn the weird left and and the acid yeah. left as well. So you know the acid left would be a reference to Mark Fisher's acid communism, for instance. Yeah. And when we started at uh, ACFM, it was an acid Corbynist podcast. Uh, and in fact, the distinction between we were making about acid communism and acid Corbynism was that that, that that our our thinking would be a little bit more grounded in strategy and actual practical politics. I'm not saying Mark's work wasn't that, but like he was trying to think at a more abstract level. Yeah, and so, um, you know, I'd probably say, well, we've already probably set the grounds for this, actually, is that, like, so it'd be a left politics, which would be, which would try to remain open open to the complexity of the world, basically. You're trying to, a left politics, which is, which is using the complexity of the world as a resource to ensure that things don't, like, solidify too much at any point, and we don't, like, fall, we don't fall into the trap of believing all of these fetishisms about the world, i.e., like, race is a fetishism. It's something that humans create but we think comes before humans, therefore, um, you know, it, it is in some ways natural or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It's a human creation race, uh, not something that explains the human, apart from, oh, yeah, let's not get into that. God, time us off in circles. <laughs> I can do that, but we'll do it later. Um, yeah, so it's that, but, like, of course, there's a, there's another way you could, you could, if you just want to remain open to the complexity of the world, you could just sit there and say, hey, everything's connected. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, it's a beautiful world, this, isn't it? It's lovely. Of course, that's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to, you're trying to balance that, like, yeah, the, 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 you know, all, all of our, all of our conceptions and categories, you know, they're basically, you know, they are simplifications of the world. And we have to remember that they are at all times. Do you know what I mean? So the simplifications you're using should be oriented towards, political strategy a strategy you know in order to undo the fetishisms of the world if you want to put it that way all right and so like yeah so it's like it's not just saying oh isn't everything beautiful <laughs> everything's connected how lovely it's everything's connected how can we understand and like you know all of these little all of the bodies and boundaries that we think about including ourselves like they're sort of fictions really you know that they can be useful fictions that i'm you know, really am separated from the world, etc. Useful fictions, but we can't like we can't uh, forget that they're sort of fictions, if you know what I mean. But like you know, basically the point is is that we've got to understand how we come to recognise the world as made up of these discrete objects, which are not attached to anything else. And in fact, some parts of this 
complexity can exercise force over other parts and can like you know basically undermine the, the, uh, uh, our ability to act and undermine that the way we can conceive of the world do you know what i mean mm. uh, this is uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's a little bit complicated <laughs> way, way to think about things but like it's like th- i think that's the it's like you know this constant remain uh, willingness to, to say right yes um, the world is weird everybody is basically weird because everybody at some level they recognize that like norminess, norminess is a fetish, you know. Like nobody's yeah. normal, right? Or uh, the only the, the extent to which people are normal is to the extent that they conform with the norms of the people around them uh, of the society that they're they're within, and nobody does it totally because everyone's an individual, basically, you know, and everyone's different and yeah. like basically has their own uh, um, connection to uh, the complexity of the world. If you know what I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And so maybe another way to think about it, if we tie it back into what we were saying about sort of authority and sort of appeal to medical authority, I guess we might think of a liberal or sort of soft conservative politics as taking, you know, oh, the world's really weird. And the response from a liberal or conservative would be like, no, it's not. Yeah, today. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just defer to the authority. And I suppose you then are left with the choice of reverting back to the sort of reactionary fantasies that you've outlined there or sticking with the fact that it's complex and taking it to more serious sort of more rigorous um what would the word be that sort of realizations mm, in a way mm. that, that might be a lot less comforting in some ways than than the fantasies you might have already turned out yeah. you know it might be that you're actually quite powerless in the world and that can be quite disgusting yes. as yeah. opposed to being powerful and more in the reactionary formation yeah i mean that's a good way of thinking of it like one of the ways in which the left has thought about conspiracy theories in the past on left figures such as frederick jameson is to say like conspiracism is like it's like failed failed cognitive mapping do you know it's a failure to get a good understanding of how the world works um uh and like yeah so so it, we could we could sort of think of it a bit like a bit like this is that like um you know what distinguishes the left from like liberalism, et cetera, and from like the right is like this, uh, this willingness to think about, about how there are big structures and structural forces in the world, which condition your experiences. They shape your experiences. They shape the way you think they, do you know what I mean? So like race is one of them, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's this phrase I always like saying that race is as made up and as concrete as Wednesdays. Do you know what I mean? Nothing in reality yeah, that yeah. distinguishes one turning of the earth as a Monday. That's a, that's a you know that's a shared thing. Of course, it's concrete. It's concrete because if you've got a you know if you've got a court date on a Monday and you say, well, I, well, it's just a you know it's just a social fiction. You turn up on a Wednesday, you're in big trouble. You know, it could be turned into concrete. You could be end up in a jail, surrounded by concrete and unable to get out. You know what I mean? So yeah, so like if you think about what is anti woke. As part of this thing, right? Anti-woke theory is the is the desire to eliminate all modes of thought which allow you to recognize structural causes. If you eliminate structural causes, what's left? Just the actions of individual human beings, right? Which is what neoliberal ideology sort of says there is. So, how do things change and happen? Well, it's got to be individual human beings conspiring with other individual human beings to do things, fully aware of what's going on. Do you know what I mean? That's just not how it works, basically. Like, like you know, 
like the, the th- that like what makes Marxism and and like you know that that all of the huge range of theories that that basically come off Marxism, including most post-structuralism and all these sorts of things, theories such as Deleuze and Guattari, Foucault, all within the umbrella of Marxism, as far as I'm concerned, you know, is that like you know the primary mode of explanation is not like individual intention. You know what I mean? Like one individual wants to do this and then that and get somebody else to agree and you form a conspiracy. It says no, in fact, those people, you know, they're actually being driven or motivated by these like economic and social conditions that exceed any intention. Do you know what I mean? Exceed any conspiracy. And most of that happens out in the open. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, if you want to understand uh, why wages are falling, you know, you don't have to have some conspiracy about how leftists are trying to undermine West, the West, by importing my. Say, no, that's the fucking market works. When, work, when workers aren't organized uh, and they can't bid up their wages, you know, uh, wages would be driven down because that's what these, these, these abstract things you can't touch. You can't see such as the market. And when we talk about that, competitive forces, they force people to behave in a certain way. Otherwise, you lose out. And then, you know, basically that people take on that that logic. Basically, that's what the capitalist is. It's like Marx says in Capital, he goes, like, it doesn't matter if like Mr. Moneybags, who is this, this, the, uh, this capitalist, just think of this guy, doesn't matter if he's a lovely guy, doesn't matter if he goes to work church on Sundays, if he doesn't act as though he is capital itself, somebody who's like ruthlessly driven to just expand, uh, expand profitability as much as possible. He will not be a capitalist by fucking Wednesday. Basically, he's not in control of things. Fucking <laughs> Biden in control isn't in control of things. Do you know what I mean? The abstract forces there, and so like anti wokeism in a way, it's a it's anti wokeism is a conspiracy theory. There's no doubt about that, right? The anti woke right, etc. But anti-wokeism is a conspiracy theory that tries to reduce, tries to eliminate all thinking which isn't conspiracy theories, basically. Because it's trying to eliminate the ability to think through structural forces, structural conditioning on, 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 on both how we live our lives, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So like this idea of cognitive mapping I, I mentioned earlier is like from Jameson. And like, so his thing is, it's in fact, it's really hard. If we try, if we're talking about like, um, Trying to create a politics which which includes how our own experiences are structured, pre-structured by these wider forces. Many of these forces go all around the world, etc. Obviously, that's very hard to get to from individual experience. You need some sort of cognitive map about how the world works, and our cognitive map will be quite limited. But he 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 says that you know at the beginning of capitalism, perhaps you could could get a good cognitive map of how things could work. Because I look over there, there's Mr. Moneybags. He's got his top hat on. He's probably got a monocle or something. He's the boss. Um, I understand his interests are, are against mine, so I've got a fair idea of how things work. He says, you add in imperialism to that, and it's suddenly, actually, this factory only exists because of this hyper-exploitation over the other side of the world. Reduce the costs here. I, that that will need me to, and my, my comrades to go and study that and understand it, right? Of course, that is exactly what the working-class movement did. You know, the, the, the people who were in the factories in Manchester when... When Engels was uh, writing, you know, they organ- they understood what was going on with slavery in, in the American South. They organized to support the the North in the American Civil War. They went and raised money to buy ships for the like they did that cognitive mapping and understood it. But it's it's something you have to do. You have to, it's like it's not just from your own experiences. You can start from your own experience, but you have to w- figure out the, the preconditions for those experiences. You can fucking do you don't need intellectuals to do that. You can do that, but only if you're organized and have this this bigger, bigger mission. Do you know what I mean? 
And so, yeah, and as soon as you get to like globalization, as soon as you get to financialization, it gets more and more complex. And so, like, basically, yeah. that's it's so anti wokeism is like consciously trying to create the conditions for which cognitive mapping are impossible. Conspiracism is failed cognitive mapping. You understand, you want to try to understand why it seems as though hidden forces are moving behind you. But of course, you're trained through your interaction with neoliberal institutions to just see the world as made up of just individuals. There's no such thing as society, says Margaret Thatcher, and that's what's driving neoliberal reform. Just individuals. So if it's just individuals, who are the hidden forces? Other individuals. You know what I mean? That's... <laughs> yes. So that I think that perfectly leads us on to talking about... So you mentioned Mark Fisher's Acid Communism, um, and, I, and I, I want to get onto this discussion talking about some of the kind of workshops you've run that, you know, I was looking to be involved with one of them. And to, to sort of lead us into the specifics about that, could you tell me about consciousness raising? Because what you're talking about there is speaks directly to what a, what a practice of consciousness raising is about. It's tell me about your individual experience or, or we'll share our individual experiences as, as a collective. And, it, and instead of keeping it at that level, we will, as an organised group, try and um, help construct a kind of collective meaning that, that speaks to the, 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 the otherwise difficult to reckon with forces that, that we're talking about there. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because so yeah, that's the other tool that you would go to in left history to try to think through. You know, there's all sorts of tools, aren't there, basically? You know, so the, yeah. the idea of, of like false consciousness, etc., uh, about ideology, all of these tools that people have used to try to get a grasp on some of this cognitive mapping is one of Jameson's. But like consciousness raising is this other tool that, that basically came out of movements. Actually, actually starts with like uh, Maoism in, in 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 China during the Cultural Revolution. But like, basically, a few books get written and they get really reinterpreted in a very different way, particularly amongst the really nascent women's movement in the UK and in the US. And like, yeah, so consciousness raising groups become the 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 organizational form of second wave feminism in the nineteen late nineteen sixties and, and basically through the nineteen seventies and well, well, still going on now. But like, they were the bedrock of that movement then. Yeah, and those were very, like, basically, they they tended to just be that women, sometimes mixed groups, but quite often women would just get together and, like, basically, yeah, just talk about their experiences. And it went a bit, like, because they talk about their experiences and realise that, what that like, they were shared problems, basically, that, oh, you've got the same problem as me. Well, if everybody's got this problem, it can't just be because I'm, a, a, you know, I'm, a, it can't be some individual failing. I can't be because I'm a... A fuck up basically because it must be structural how else could how else could this happen do you know what i mean that's the sort of thing so they turn into study groups and like people are trying to work this thing out and you're, you're trying to identify the basically that like how pa patriarchy is structured except how it operates um how it conditions and limits men as well as as women these sorts of things in order to to then take collective action about it that's basically the sort of the gloss on how second wave feminism sort of organized itself and, and sort of functioned. And then um, I was in a group called Plan C in um, you know, the first half of the, uh, yeah, basically I was involved in forming this group called Plan C. Mark Fisher was a member for a, for a while as well. And we were experimenting with thinking about, we're experimenting with, with consciousness raising groups. Actually thinking about it partly because there was a there was a pamphlet written called We Are All Very Anxious, which is a little bit about this. <laughs> it was it's quite a nice little article, which was basically sort of saying that you know that um anxiety is a dominant affect of contemporary time because of 
precarity, precariousness at work, etc. The rollback of the, the, the state, etc. Um, and in fact, it's a nice argument because it said that the the, the workers' movement and right, the movements of liberation have had. They, there's always a dominant affect that goes on with each stage of capitalism, and the movements are um, then turn into machines for fighting that. And so it said that the, the initial move animating affect of the workers' movement was misery, basically. But then when you gain the welfare state, etc., in the post-war period, that sort of gets replaced by an affect of boredom in some sort of way. And you, in fact, you, you basically you're bored with the way life is. You know, you've got a little bit of alleviation from precarity. And so the immediate thing is to um is to experiment with freedom, basically, to create machines for fighting boredom. Um, and you and I I was sort of raised. Like when I think about like what is a, 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 a weird left sensibility, the sensibilities I grew up in were like in that post-punk period from like, you know, the uh, for me, it was more like the mid-80s mid, mid to the end of the 90s or into the 90s, depends on when you want to put a cap on actually of acid house, don't you? But, you know, that sensibilities, I can see from this start vantage point now, this like real obsession with experimentation, et cetera. We're learning about all of like, you know, artistic Put the political, artistic, the literary all get together and like you're supposed to know all about all of these sorts of things. Do you know what I mean? Like those sort of sensibilities were an element of freedom, the freedom that comes from like the post-war welfare state, where for the first time in history, like being unemployed or underemployed does not mean destitution. Do you know what I mean? That means that people will say, fuck work, I'm gonna go explore machines for fighting boredom. The response to that by mm. capital, well, let's reimpose precarity, basically. And all of a sudden, you need machines <laughs> for fighting anxiety, was this guy's argument. He said, and the, so basically what that means is the precursor to any sort of action is to form consciousness-raising groups so that we can like overcome this affect of, of, of anxiety, create the collectivity from which we can go on and do work, which makes, sort of makes sort of sense if you think about the dominant experience of of women, probably not the dominant, but yeah, okay, let's say the dominant experience of women, you know, in the run-up to the second-wave feminism was as the housewife, you know, the, the really paradigmatic, isolated individual who didn't have a point of collectivity, so they went and created that point of collectivity through the consciousness-raising group. Anyway, Plancy started experiment with these consciousness-raising groups a, a, a little bit, um, but they were consciousness-raising groups around the affect of precarity. They were there, that sort of thing's being experimented with, and then Mark Fisher picked that up and really influenced about by that when he started to write acid communism. And in fact, the, the chapter that we've got, the introduction and the first chapter that we've got is around this idea of different forms of consciousness, consciousness expansion with psychedelics, consciousness raising, class consciousness, etc. And so, yeah, and when Mark died in 2017, he killed himself, unfortunately. Me and uh, Nadia Idol, who's on the ACFM pod, we started to think about we wanted to do consciousness raising, acid communist consciousness raising workshops. Um, and they were just, we started, you know, thinking about this, went around and did a few of them. And um, they were sort of basically, they, we just had a series of questions where we tried to provoke this. Okay, so the subtitle of Mark's book was um, Acid Communism on Post-Capitalist Desire. So we were trying to do these workshops where we'd ask a series of questions to try to provoke, try to understand or get people to think about where post-capitalist desire gets created in it some sort of way but we we deliberately had this great reveal halfway through the workshop where we'd ask people about like you know when we were last bored for instance when did you last feel free from work these sorts of things and then we'd reveal look we think that those were the sorts of places you find post-capitalist desire in the 1970s and, and and then we'd get people's answers about boredom so these are not the boredom that was like 
that the punks book sang about the boredom as an empty time in order to spur to to, to to do something you know this is boredom of ennui of like stacking compulsive loops you know the, the endless scrolling yeah fucking hating what you're doing yeah. but you can't stop it sort of thing so then it'd be a provocation to think about well where do you rub up against the limits of of of, of the way the society is structured now where do you have desires that like push beyond it sort of thing that sort of consciousness raising groups and then yeah and then i i, I think you came to one of our acid um football consciousness raising groups why didn't you talk about that sam yeah i mean i loved it um so i i came to the one in brighton a, a couple of years ago um i guess on the one level you know it's, it's quite fun isn't it you know it's for people that don't know the world transformed it's this it's this left-wing uh, festival of ideas and workshops and those things it's great and um you know acid football the pictures kind of talk about football using a kind of consciousness raising this uh consciousness raising lens um and i suppose my sense of the session was here's this thing that brings a huge amount of people a lot of joy in you know a huge amount of time investment when you stop and mm. think about it um huge part of kind of world culture in loads of ways and yet most people have an ambivalent, complex relationship between their politics and football. As a Manchester City fan, I, I, you know, I count myself as one of them. And um, I knew it was a really great session, really. You had a lot of people just talking about, you know, this commuting between the, the personal and the political and, and you know, how do you make sense of your own quite small experience in the face of multinational corporations and how, how do you see institutions being changed by forces outside of your control and 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 then what do you then do? There was a lot of really good discussions about people's gender and and sort of how they feel as though they construct their gender identity one way or the other using football and 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 maybe how that produces a, a kind of friction actually when they when they see others doing that in a way that they don't like or don't see as sort of productive. Um, I, I mean, I'd be interested to hear from you what what you found is successful from those sessions. Um, and maybe yeah, maybe you can tell me what you find successful about those sessions and then. After that, I can kind of link it to stuff in the future yeah. that you can go on. Well, I mean, first off, that's a really great description, actually. Probably better than I'd have put. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and, but the only other thing I'd say is that then people go off and have a game of football afterwards. We should probably do it the other way around, yeah. but, <laughs> but basically everyone would be too tired, wouldn't they? Uh, Form enmities by, like, reckless tackles and stuff. <laughs> the feeling of unity would yeah. be broken. Um, yeah, I mean, well, because, but then, you know, but we did a couple of those sessions and I was, doing them with uh, Tom Williams um, and then me and Tom went on just before we did some uh, uh, pro pro revolution soccer podcast on Navarra just before around the world cup basically. Um, and so we were exploring it a little bit more there. We were trying to think what we could do with this a bit more. And like one of the things we would gradually worked our way into was, was, you know, the, the reason we wanted to talk about football was exactly as you said, is that like it becomes, you know, it's this really big part of our lives and it like it creates these moments of collective joy, but like, but we've also attached to these really, really ambiguous feelings, feelings of powerlessness and all of these sorts of things. And what do you do with that? And like the touch of the temptation is that you you park your politics, basically. You don't really think about football politically um, and you just say, right, OK, I'm just going to scream and shout in there <laughs> in that stadium for 90 minutes every now and then. I won't think about it. Like One of the things we started thinking was like, actually, no, I, Actually, football is like really, really interesting because it's like one of it's a massive tool for like cognitive mapping in that sense of like mm. 
because it's quite hard to get a grasp of something like global capital, basically. I think Owen Hathley is the, is the one who said this about saying that, look, if you live in London, you can get a, you get a little bit more of a sense of like global capital because you can look and see these gherkins and these ridiculous buildings and how separate they are from like the rest of London. They, oh, yeah, like, yeah, you can sort of see how that, the disparities that are caused by these incredible disparities in wealth, et cetera. If you live in Middlesbrough, Global capital's basically uninterested in you, but you know what I mean? There's no big gherkins there. Or even somewhere like Newcastle, like or Sunderland or somewhere like that, you know, they, they, it's just not really interesting. It's not going to come to you. It's still going to condition your life. still going to be the reason why, you know, factories have closed down, et cetera. But you're not going to be able to see that. You're just going to see the effect, but not, you know, you, it's not visualised in any way. And in fact, like football is one of the places where it really is visualised because particularly pre the Premier League is, you know, um, it's a point where where these huge flows of money get, get come in and like restructure things like you know I don't wait don't mean to pick on you but like Man City is obviously a really good example of that you know what I mean um, and it's not just the football ground you know loads of the real estate in Manchester is owned by uh, Doha etc in a sort of sweetheart deal with the council there's been lots of studies written about it in which that money. The rents are extracted, they're whipped off to, you know, out of the country. Then, you know, the, the city gets very little back from that. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, and so, like, what's going on with all of this? Why is this money, you know, why is this money flowing into football? You know, why might Qatar buy Man U, etc.? You know what I mean? Why have the Saudis bought Newcastle? You know, why have the Qataris yeah. bought PSG and all this sort of stuff? What are they doing? What do they want to do with that? Why might like mm. the 49ers buy Leeds? Although they might basically go back on that now because we can get relegated. Um <laughs> like, you know, um uh, if you want to buy a Premier League football club, you've got to be a, a sovereign wealth fund of an oil rich company or a really massive hedge fund, basically. You know, what are they doing with that? You know, um, and that's why we explored a little bit on the show because the World Cup was really good, you know, because it's a really good example to do that. So it's like, yeah, we were starting to think through, yeah, it's actually could be a really good tool for cognitive mapping to understand basically it's a sort of like little little sort of window into like the forces that structure your life why do i feel so ambiguous about football why do i feel so powerless and like feel as though i need to take the when i'm trying to think through what should happen in my club i take the position of like some fucking oligarch or something you know what i mean <laughs> oh yeah we should spend fucking 150 million on this player etc etc like why do we why do we do that basically um yeah, so that in a way that was what was going through our heads with the with the acid football. Acid football is much easier, of course, because well, it's not much easier, but much easier. It it has it. It's different to podcasting because like that's broadcast, whereas basically you yeah. just set the conditions for like the acid football consciousness raising group. Then it just goes off. Basically, you know, we don't have to intervene very much at all. You know, lots of other people can bring their things to it. Yeah, I mean that is also striking about the session is. Um... You can see people growing confidence yeah. as they're sharing their experience, and I think that is something that's really valuable. Is and that's I think probably what's lacking in some ways of the sort of social formation of a kind of cosmic right collectivity is that it's not let's sit in a room and talk about it, and I'm not going to agree with everything you say, but I'm going to support. Mm. You know, there seems like there's a difference of uh, relationship between people making sense mm. of it in sat in a room. Well, not not necessarily a physical room. You know, it can also be an online room, especially with COVID and mm. how that's changed. How who is able to attend rooms and who isn't. Um, but but that that's that sense of 
your view of the world is taken seriously, but it's still going to be received critically. And, and you can hold those together in a, in a kind of caring, sort of solidaristic way. To me, that seemed like really important and very distinct from a cosmic right politics. Yeah, because it's, it's that thing, right, where like... Um, you are the you are the expert in your own experience. If you want to talk about your own experiences, yeah. well, you're the expert in that. You know more than anybody else about that, right? There's a danger in that, which is that you just take your experiences as something which justifies whatever. Do you know what I mean? Or that, that it trumps everything. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not, your experience has already been conditioned by all sorts. My experiences have already been conditioned by all sorts of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so you, it, so you, do you need to do it in a group situation where you're sort of thinking it through together, it's giving your experience, and that's your opener, and that's why you can, why people feel confident to speak is because, yeah, well, this is my relationship to it. With football, like there's all sorts of stuff you've got to get over, like that whole authenticity of the football fan thing. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, well, yeah, I, I, I know, I collected Panini stickers and whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, all sorts of stuff to get over, but you can get over that if you structure it right. You know what I mean? Um, so it's yeah, and I, no, go no, 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 sorry, no, go on. I've spoken enough. Well, I was just going to say, I think, and and so to bring it around to this event, I'm going to do on on May 25th, um, called Illness. It's going to be, it's not going to be the same, it's slightly different because we're going to have people reading from their work, but but, but I, I'm hoping in a similar way that that can provide a space where people can think about their own experience and and, and take it seriously and then and then use other people's theories, other people's work, other people's, you know, contributions to thinking about their experiences as a, as a way to ground them in something like that. Because I think they're obviously very different spheres of life, but, you know, something like football, I think people's experience of illness, mm. what you're talking about there where, oh, I'm, I don't feel very well and my doctor's not really taking it seriously and I, and I don't really know what to do about it and I've still got to go to work even though I don't feel very well and you know, maybe my manager doesn't even care that I'm not very well, you know, maybe they do and whatever, but yeah, and you can have a certain, you know, that can be incredibly distressing, you know, maybe, maybe you lose your job because you're not very well, you know, there's all these sort of horrible things that can happen that can make you feel terrible. And I think there's such an opportunity there, especially, well, I'm obviously only concerned in it as an opportunity for the left to, to produce a kind of shared political consciousness about, how, you know, I, I don't think people necessarily think how historically significant it is to exist in a country where the health system was one of the greatest mm. victories of a, a sort of social democratic left, maybe mm. ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but is also now just being sort of destroyed decade on decade, and and that that to me seems like an exact point of it's not even a point of contact, but but you know, a point where the, the personal political is so clearly intertwined. That there's a lot to be gained there from saying this is a political experience. Um, I also think there's something to be said about like, you know, if we think back to the anti-vax stuff, quote unquote modern medicine, very complex, very complicated, and your experience of receiving it, interfacing with it, uh, and interfacing with, let's just say experts, can be very emotionally, logistically complex. You can retreat from that and say, that form of medicine is just puts a chip in my brain and turns me into a robot and puts me in the matrix, blah, 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 blah. Or you can say that is true. Does it have to be like that? Or, or is there a sort of more complex set of agencies that we can think about where, you know, I, I, I've spoken to loads of people and it, you know, it's my position as well, that there needs to be far more agency in people's decision about the care they receive and their role in their own care. Um, 
and there needs to be just far more access for far many more different types of care you know and different access to different kinds of medicine and i think you can't root out a sort of a sort of a fear about things like vaccines or, or, or a kind of reactionary feeling about a sort of constructed fancy of the natural without make you know without taking seriously the desire for people to have agency in their own lives and and, and to sort of think about you know re- the way in which their body is constituted by m- multiple complex forms of sort of technology you know regardless of how sort of quote unquote healthy normal mm. you know you are it's not true yeah. like <laughs> you're still you're still already interfacing with all these complex things so you can sort of imagine it and enter a kind of split you're the weird other or you're the person that needs medicine or aren't you know very often that is a trans person who needs gender affirming care or or you know any number of sort of demographics that we see as, as sort of codified as more medical or and then i'm over here i'm the natural one i'm not you know it's like it's really not it's just not accurate in a kind of real material sense but it's also i think there's a way to say to people that's not accurate but also you would better be able to um advocate for your own agency and, and your community's agency and and sort of in, in recognizing the solidarity instead of reverting to a split sort of terrified paranoid sort of mm. uh subject position yeah no I, I think health is like a really really interesting um uh, a sphere upon which like loads of politics can go can come come out of like i i, I want to come to this event on the 25th i might not be able to because i might be coming back from france uh that day and I'm going to France that weekend because I'm involved in a project in in uh, in France to create a, a network of pharmaceutical factories producing pharmaceuticals as commons. And I'll just explain it a bit because it really does. I think it really links up a lot because like, like basically it's like this idea that there's this network I've been trying to do produce this over the last couple of years in France. And we've been going over uh, uh, involved in this organization, Abundance, and we do these things. Public common partnerships doesn't matter what they are at the moment. but we, But basically... Um, we've been we're trying to work out you know how how this might fit together as a bit as a network etc and so uh, we we came across this thing where uh, you know that all of a sudden you're you're producing if you're producing pharmaceuticals as a commons and basically not trying to increase your profitability it opens up a huge different new conception of health do you know what i mean because if you're a pharmaceutical company producing for the market and to try to you know in a in a capitalist manner you're, you're, what you want is more and more people to take your drugs, your medicines. You want your market to grow. Do you know what I mean? If that's not your case, if you don't want your market to grow, then you can have a very different, more holistic conception of what health is. And so the idea of these of these pharmaceutical companies is that like the surplus after operating costs will be given over to what we call a common health association, which will be a, a, an associ- a democratic association within the territory who will then use that to do health intervent- public health interventions you know what I mean? And so like one of the one of the medicines being talked about being produced in one of the sciences around type two diabetes, which has got a big environmental factor in that. So basically you would use those that that surplus to try to intervene to sort of address some of that environmental thing. So you actually you've got a factory who's paying to reduce your market for that particular drug. Because of course, medical interventions, you probably want less of them. That's not true of all, of course. Some of some some you know, some things are chronic and you can you know you you will need and medical interventions for the rest of your life but lots of you know that, that like it's it's a form of, of of like trying to identify what structure in particular uh, particular conceptions of health and health outcomes this project 
and then identifying the actual st- the structures which push it in a certain direction and then to try to organize elsewhere but uh, but to organize elsewhere by creating like this uh, an arena for where people discuss health and have actual money you know proper proper money that they're del- democratically deciding on what to do with it and the spur for that project came out of pharmaceutical engineers who are also unionists in the CGT who um, were outraged around how the COVID, how the private, public-private partnership model of COVID vaccines got, got happened, basically. And then, you know, basically, because it was intellectual property that they wanted to milk to this to the most, they wouldn't allow generics in the global south, and like hundreds of thousands of people died. Do you know what I mean? That was the spur for these engineers. And then this sparked off this. So in a way, that's, a, that's another form of, like, you're trying to get an arena to build a democratic space in which people can do cognitive mapping around health, basically, and see what comes out of it, and to give them lots of money, hopefully, if it all, all sort of works out. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I didn't know about that. but um, And, yeah, hopefully you can make it and not get arrested for terrorism. <laughs> oh, just come back to the country or something mad like that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but if not, we'll, we'll just have to do another one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so the final thing, actually, I mean, this has been such a great conversation, but just as, as a final place to leave it, so I guess what 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 you're talking about there is a sort of I guess maybe a more positive idea of a sort of building a movement, building infrastructure, building a different kind of structure for society. And when I think about a politics of a weird left or an acid left, there's there's that, but then there's also a kind of de-radicalizing factor. It's you know how do you get to people before they go off the wormhole or mm. whatever it is, and. And maybe for the final thing I'll ask you is how, how do you see those two tasks sort of jostling together in a movement? Because I don't get the sense from the work you do that you think it should be a, a this is just a de-radicalizing thing. I, you know, I think that maybe I think maybe returns more to a kind of liberal thing of the kind of concern about quote unquote fighting disinformation. We can get into that another time. But I think what you're talking is about a much more sort of holistic thing about what this idea of politics or what what this language or set of theories about what is happening in our kind of politics or our communities now is i think it goes beyond that and so maybe as a final point could you tell me a little bit about how it goes beyond that and maybe why you think it should go beyond that yeah i mean it's a good thing it is a good it probably is a good idea to think that yeah at, at first you're trying to it, perhaps it's not that you're trying to stop radicalization before it happens perhaps you are trying to do that but what you're trying to do is like recognize that like that 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 um, the that the, this sort of cosmic right and like probably the alt right etc. You know, but I think more the cosmic right than the alt right actually, because the alt right I think is basically you know rich white boys trying to defend their status in the world. They could be enrolled in a different politics. That's absolutely true. But like um, with the cosmic right, there are certain like there are certain feelings and um, drives being tapped into here, basically, which were once tapped into by the left. And are no longer being tapped into by the left and can be tapped into by the right. So trying to understand what is producing those, you know, what the concrete things that are producing those, and then think about, well, are there other ways in which you can tap into those sorts of, of feelings and uh, which drive people in a more un- towards a more universal politics is is perhaps one of the ways to think about that. One of my other things I'm interested in is like political games, etc. Um, you know, and that's sort of linked to this idea that like perhaps gamification is one of the drivers of both, both neoliberal subjectivities and like the affordances of our contemporary sort of communication stru- technology. 
So, so, so there's that, that like sort of like, yeah, can we understand, can we use that, that, that this very weird phenomena, understand it and use that to, to, to get a better grasp on what's going on at the moment? Um, because, you know, the, the right has got an advantage on the left, which is that it's basically not concerned about reality too much because it's not it, it's not trying to create democratic subjects. Right. If it can, if we, if you just do, if the, if, if all that QAnon does, or all of the cosmic right does, is, is like this apophenia where people are seeing patterns which aren't there, and what you get is a demobilized population or a population that can be mobilized in episodic mo- sp- sp- uh, spurts of violence, such as the January sixth thing, etc. The, the storming of the capital. If that, that's perfect, that's fine for the right. They don't want that. Pretty good for the centre as well, to be honest. You know, Starmer doesn't want a, a, a democratic, active population. We do, unfortunately. Do you know what I mean? So, like, basically, the mm. the right can be more attuned to like creating stories and myths which pick up on uh, on affects and, and and stuff that's going on. Whereas we have to do that, but we also have to lead that back to this project of of like an, a collectively understanding how the world works together, so that we can like you know basically a project of collective reason. To some degree, we can work out how the world works and work out how to change it. So, in some ways, we've got a disadvantage to the right at, at first. But of course, being utterly and utterly completely detached from how the world works it's also a fucking big weakness for the right okay um it's a huge weakness so they they try to give up you know so like you know you you know uh uh, you know what they have to do is create this like sense of disavowal in some sort of way to deny the reality because it's a bit too dangerous and and traumatic it's reality of like climate change etc let's just pretend it doesn't exist well you know lots of people are going to fall for that they're going to be find that very attractive, but that's going to that's only got, that's got a short shelf life because, fortunately, you've got to deal with the fucking effects of it. You know, <laughs> flooding, millions of people are being displaced, and all this sort of stuff. And so, yeah, that's my the wider project that all of this sort of stuff fits into. You know, I see this project, which is a very very concrete project. This pharmaceuticals as, as commons. We're going to be going to talk to a mayor of uh, France. I can't talk too specifically about it. Who's going to be that? Like, you know, it might well be leaning on other people to build us a factory quite soon it's like a concrete thing this could happen in like 18 months time and we're but like you know that that i think is a project of the weird left the weird left is pretty normal and not not normal but basically everybody is weird i'm not i have i've got i've got quite a normal affect i like football and music like any man of my age you know what i mean um but like um uh, that that's like that that is like it's not this thing of like being weird for the sake of it it's not what the weird left is it's like Let's think. Let's not take health as something which is, we, which we understand is pre pre configured, and then like, all right, well, we just let's just recreate the national health service. But no, no, actually, the, the basically people have got to be much more active and be able to interrogate like the way that their conception of health is constructed by all of these institutions and so forth, basically, and then to gain control over it in some ways. You know, people when people when these are I go and talk to these pharmaceutical engineers in France about. This project, they won't think of it as part of the weird left, but it is. Do you know what I mean? That it's like let's not take these things for granted. See if we can we how they work, how they're constructed, see if we can construct them differently. Thank you for listening to Red Medicine and thank you to Kia for such a great conversation. Make sure you go and check out ACFM, which is Essential Listening, and grab a ticket to the event on May 25th if it sounds like your kind of thing. Thanks again.